So we are moving through the book of 1 Peter, and one of the things that Peter does at the very part of the beginning of his epistle is he says, this is what you should believe. And then he goes in, this is how what you believe should change how you behave. And that's kind of the section we've been in for the last couple of weeks. How, all right, so if this is true, then what difference should it make in our lives? That's essentially what we've been talking about. Now, the point that Peter's going to make this weekend, and we kind of hit on it a little bit last weekend, is there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians, that get the idea that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone. They get that. They know that there's, there's a moment where they cross that line of faith. They call upon the Lord and they're saved. Their sins are forgiven. They're born again. You know, all, they get all that. But the part that they miss, and I think a lot of Christians are missing this, is they don't realize that the moment that Jesus saves their soul, he puts them in a new community, a community we call the community of faith, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And there are a lot of critics out there, especially within the Christian community, that are critical of the local church. But let me just be clear, Jesus wasn't critical of the church. He knew it had problems. I mean, come on, look at his disciples. His disciples were flawed. They, each one of them ran when he needed them the most, but Jesus didn't desert his disciples. He saw the potential. And that's why he called, Jesus calls the church his bride. And so the church is something that every one of you who call yourselves a Christ follower, whether you're in this community right now, in this room, or you're part of the Christian community online, you should be part of a local assembly. This is not an this is not a if I feel like it. This is not an option. This is the, the New Testament does not know Christians who are not connected to a local assembly. It's an oxymoron in the New Testament. Knowing Jesus uh, without being connected to his church is not taught in the New Testament anywhere. And I want to, Peter makes one of the strongest cases for that. So I want to go through and just read through First uh, Peter. And let me start at verse uh, 14 excuse me, verse 4 of chapter 2. Let me read this passage to you, and then we'll talk about it. Peter writes these words. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrificial excuse me, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, Peter is saying, you're not like that. That's not who you are. He says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not his people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as, as foreigners and exiles... 
to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among uh, the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So here's what we want to do this, uh, this morning. We want to look at four things that when we place our trust in Jesus takes play, take place in our lives. There's four things that take place. All right, the first one is when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, we lay a new foundation. We lay a new foundation. So Jesus, Peter says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone of a building was a very remarkably important uh, stone. It was the stone that was the foundational stone to the whole building. It, it, it determined the direction and how the building was going to be built. And it was important that you had a good because all the dimensions of the building would come off of the cornerstone. If the cornerstone was wrong or if it was inferior, the whole building would suffer. Um, now, here's the point. Every one of us in our lives, we all have what I would call functional cornerstones. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that there's certain things, there's certain principles, there's certain patterns that we, we base our life on. These are foundational to our lives. We are born with them. We grow up with them. It may be a family tradition. It may be a belief that we have. But there are certain things that we say, I have to have this in my life. And this gives my life purpose and meaning. For some, it's, uh, it's you know, achieving success. For some, it's, it's having uh, relationships or, or a family. For, it, could, it could be a n whole number of things. Oftentimes what happens is we take good things and we make them God things. In other words, we take things that God has given us, things that we should enjoy and have, uh, but it, what happens is uh, they are not meant to be God things. There's only one thing that can be the cornerstone, and Peter basically says it. Jesus is to be the cornerstone of our lives, uh, the chief cornerstone of our lives, not just of the church, but of our lives. So when we have these phony or inferior cornerstones, they're going to fail. Now, how do you know if you have a functional cornerstone that's inferior? How do you know that? Well, we just saw that this weekend, didn't we? So apparently, you know, this storm, and I've never heard of it before. Uh, De Recha? And, and so, you know, there's a weather nerd out there going, no, that's actually not the way you pronounce it. I don't really care. Just, you know the high wind storm that blew across Iowa and just ravaged the fields and the trees and Cedar Rapids and Iowa City and the destruction is unbelievable. We drove down to Iowa City. We just saw just a teeny bit of it. It's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it uh, in the Midwest. It's unbelievable. But here's how you know you, have a, you don't have a good cornerstone. That when the wind and the waves come, your life begins to fall apart. You begin to question, who am I? What's my purpose in life? Where am I going? Why did this happen? And you have all these questions, but you don't have any answers. And the storms don't destroy your life. The storms merely show the foundation that you built your life on. You know, you see the pictures, you probably saw them this week, of trees and many of those trees, you looked at them and you said, man, those look like strong trees. And they just cracked. They just, I mean, just, just went. And you say, well, could any tree stand in, in a storm like that? 
This is what Jesus says. See, he's, basically the, the point is it's not the flood, it's not the winds that are the problem, it's the cornerstone. When you have an inferior cornerstone, your life is going to suffer. Jesus wrote this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And essentially what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, this is how you lay a cornerstone. This is what the chief cornerstone should look like in your life if you read the Sermon on the Mount. But then he says at the end of it, he says this. He says this. Let me put the verses up there. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Let me ask you a question. What, what's, your, what's your cornerstone? What are you building your life around? What is the, the functional thing that you're saying, this is the thing that without this I can't live? Because when a storm comes, it doesn't, it doesn't wreck your life. It just reveals the foundation. Your life was already wrecked. You just didn't know it. Storms just reveal cor cornerstones. Now, unfortunately, in many lives, in many Christian lives, the cornerstone isn't Jesus. But people say, yes, I love Jesus, but he's not really the chief cornerstone. Many people feel, and, and some people are put off by it. And that's what Peter says. He says, this, the stone is the most precious stone of the building. This should be the cornerstone. Many people see it as a stumbling block. They're put off by it. And, you know, you think about that. You have friends, you have family, you have neighbors, you have people around you that you love and care about, and you've tried to share with them Jesus. You tried to say, you know, this is the foundation I've laid in my life, and it, it's given me stability, it's given me hope. And, and even in 2020, even though things are going crazy around me, I'm not going crazy because I know I have a solid rock. I have a stone that he has a plan and a purpose for my life in the midst of all of this. And I have a hope that goes beyond and you tell people about Jesus and they go, no, no, no. I don't like the exclusivity of Jesus. I don't like the fact that Jesus says he's the only way. I, no, I'm not good with that. And Peter says, basically, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. It's a stumbling block for a number of people. And some of you have family members and friends and coworkers that have rejected Jesus because they say, I, no, not, I'm, I'm not good with that. So that's the first, the first thing. You gain uh, that, but also you gain a new identity. You gain a new identity. Peter tells us that when we come to Christ that we're chosen of God, we're part of a royal priesthood, we're part of a holy nation, we're God's special possession. Those are pretty, pretty good, right? I mean, I, sometimes I'll ask people, I say, so when, when you view God in your life, does he have a smile on his face when he sees you? And I, I'm amazed at how, so, how many people know he's like angry, he's mad, or he's frowning. <laughs> this one says you're, you're very precious to him, that, that he has a plan and a purpose for you. Um, 
Peter calls us in this, he calls us royal priests. And I said I was going to hit on this last weekend. Now, most of us, we think of priests, if we're Christians and we know a little bit of the Bible, we think maybe of the Old Testament priest, the priest, the high priest, that would go in and offer the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement and the other sacrifices for the people um, throughout the year. But, you know, we, you know, it's probably far removed. But for many of us uh, who are raised in uh, a tradition maybe where there were priests, uh, we thought of uh, a father or a priest where we went to get communion or to get, confess our sins or we went to a particular place at a certain time to meet with this, this ordained person. Um, but the basic meaning in the Bible is, uh, it, you know, the idea in the Old Testament is somebody who offers sacrifices before us or, or for us, someone who serves God and has exclusive access to God. And certainly that was true of the high priest in the Old Testament but then you come to the New Testament, and the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 something has changed here. And he says this. This is, uh, this is from Hebrews chapter 8. He says this, the writer of Hebrews. If I can get there. Come on. There we go. He says this. Now, the main point of what I'm saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is pretty important. He's saying there's no more need for sacrifices. Those are all done. They're done. They're over with. The high priest went in and offered himself as the Lamb of God, as the final once and for all sacrifice. Jesus Christ became our high priest. So there's no need for a priest today. There's no need for any uh, one to go before us in God. I was talking to somebody recently, and we were talking about confessing, and we were talking about when I was raised, and I'd go to you know church and confess, do confession and stuff like that. And uh, we, you know, we would. I'm not going to go into the, the all my sins and stuff. You, it would be boring to you. But essentially, I, I they they had said something like, "How do you handle that?" And I said, "Well, here's how I handle it." First John, basically, in his epistle, writes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is First John 1, 9. And I said, I don't need to go to a priest. I don't need to go to a certain place at a certain time. I can go directly to God because my great high priest, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, he went to the cross and he became the Lamb of God. And he became the, the once and for all offering, but he also is our high priest. He's the mediator between God and me. So I can go directly to God and I can ask for forgiveness today. That's how we handle it. That's how the New Testament handles it. Um, so Peter's saying that we're all priests, though, uh, that we're all ministers. Uh, there were royal priests. Now you think, well, what does that mean? Because, you know, uh, most people think when they come to a church, they say, well, who's the hired gun? Who's the pastor? Who's the leader? Who's the one who does the ministry? And uh, if you if you think that way, you misunderstand uh what the church is the church and the leadership of the church there is a leadership structure i think to the church but notice what the, the the verses say here this is ephesians chapter 4 notice what it says christ himself gave apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers notice what to equip who's that his people for the works of service so that the body of christ may be built up so this is a little different than maybe what we thought. 
we thought that the pastor was hired to do the ministry. But what Paul says, no, the pastor, the, the leadership staff, is there to equip the people to do the ministry. I can't do the ministry that every one of you can do. I don't know the people you know. I can't minister in the way that you can. I don't have the gifts that you have. And so this is what he's saying. It's quite a, uh, quite a phenomenal thing. He says, until we all reach the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God who became uh, mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this is a huge thing. What he's saying here, what Peter is saying here, is he's saying, here's what the church is. The church is has a leadership. There are some people who are full-time. It's their life is dedicated to serving but every one of us is a minister. Every one of us is a, high, is a royal priest. Every one of us has a, a, a job to do. So you see the point. We began saying, many people say, okay, I want to trust Jesus as Savior, but I don't want to be part of his church. And it just, you have a problem now because what Peter says is, no, you're a royal priest and you have a ministry to do within the body of Christ. Another place Paul says that we're part of the body of Christ. That every one of us has a role to play. And if you're missing part of the body, the body suffers. Right? Some of you have a bad leg or a bad arm or a bad eye or a bad ear. And you go, yeah, I'm making do, but it would be nice if I had that. And, and essentially, that's what it comes down to. So, so understand what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, you're not just alone with Jesus, you and Jesus doing your thing until you, he calls you to go to heaven or he comes back. That's not the way the Christian life is. I know that's the American style. But you are called to the, be part of the body. You're called to be part of the church to do ministry. So the question is, how are you doing? So you can't be an obedient Christian without taking your place within the local church and using your gifts and ministry for others. I always say to people, Hope Church isn't for everyone. We can't be, and we're not going to try to be. We're going to just try to be the best at what we can. And we got major flaws and major issues, and I'm probably the biggest reason of, of that. But let me just say this. If it's not here, it needs to be somewhere. So if you don't like here, then go somewhere, but contribute and be part of serving the, the, the community and serving the, the uh others. All right, let me give you another one. The third thing is you join a new community. So many Christians are not aware that they're part of something bigger um, than themselves. We come to Jesus by faith. He calls us to this new community, the church. Notice uh, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So you see the building analogy that he's using. So Paul is using a similar picture that Peter is. He's saying there's a cornerstone, there's a building, you're part of the building, you're part of the superstructure, you're part of what God is building here on earth. And, and that's us, the church, that's where we're called to be. You're not alone, you're together. 
God created us for community to be part of something bigger than yourself. So what does it mean to be part of the community? What does it mean to be part of the community? And the many Christians have never really asked the question, what is my role within the local assembly, within the local church? What is my role? Now, some of you are watching online. Some of you are watching after the fact. And you're really not connected to a local assembly. And I just want to say, why not? Where in Scripture do you find that's acceptable? Or We talked a couple weeks ago. We said there's a, there's a time where we need to grow up. There's a time where we need to, to just mature. And mature Christians understand that they've been given gifts. They've been given the indwelling Holy Spirit. They're connected to a local assembly. And that their role is to find what is, how can my gifts and how can my abilities be used to the building up of the body of Christ, to the building up of the church, that that's what I've been called to do. Not just to take, be a consumer, but to be a contributor. Because why? Because one day you're going to be called to give an account for your time, your talent, your money. What have you done? How, how have you used your gifts and abilities for the, for the, for the church? Um, how are you engaging in body life? How are you investing your time, your talent in the local community? And God has chosen the local church to impact our world. He hasn't chosen educators. He hasn't chosen the powerful and the rich. He hasn't chose, chosen politicians or philosophers. He's called the church to make a difference in this world. That's his, that's his number one tool to make the world a better place to bring the gospel to the world. The church, he's called the church to do that. Here's what I'm doing this morning. I'm calling all of the faithful Christ followers to step out of the crowd who want to engage with Christ's new community, who are willing to sacrifice, who are concerned about millions of people who are headed to a Christless eternity and say, I want to make a difference. Because somebody made a difference in my life. Somebody stepped across the line for me. Somebody opened the door for me. Somebody was there when I had questions. Somebody was there to show me love when I didn't deserve it. Somebody told me about Jesus Christ. By the way, we only have one leader in America. It's not the House. It's not the Senate. It's not President Trump. And it's not President Biden if he becomes president. Our president... Our leader is Jesus Christ. Okay? Can we clear that up? Can we just be clear on that? That's who we're following? And let's get worked up about what Jesus thinks. Um, he's the only one who, can get, who, 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 who gave us life by giving his life, right? He's the only one to put everything on the line for us and gave his life. So why should we follow anyone other than Jesus? That doesn't mean you shouldn't be a good citizen. That's not what I'm saying. This is not a political statement, though some of you will take it that way. No election will ever turn America around. Only the gospel has the power to change people from the inside out. Let's stop playing politics and let's take the gospel to the world. Let's take the gospel to our community. You know, you want real change? 
Real change is going to come when people come to know Jesus Christ. Look at your life. Is your life different before you came to Christ and now? Absolutely, mine is. If you want to see real change, real hope, real healing come into this community, it's not going to become because we get the right people in office. It's going to come when we take the gospel and we behave as Christians and we become the power and the light and the joy and the hope in our community. That's how it's going to change. And we're putting way, way, way too much energy in getting the right leader in office. Too much energy. Let me give you one more. You have a new life. You get a new life. He calls, Peter calls us the people of God, a holy nation. He says we're foreigners and exiles. And he used that phrase uh, a, couple week, a couple weeks ago we talked about it. Christ followers are always going to be hated and misunderstood if they're following Jesus Christ faithfully. It just comes with the turf. But we want to please everyone, and we want everybody to like us, and I'm a middle child, and I get that. I absolutely get that, really. Um, I want to read you a debate. This was between uh, Cialis, uh, uh, who was a pagan, and Octavius. And uh, Cialis, the pagan, writes this. This is what he says. So this is from the second century. The second century. This is pretty old, right? This is a long time ago. But listen to what they're saying because it's so contemporary with today. Look at what he says. Salasius, the pagan, says this. You Christians are the worst breed ever to affect the world. You deserve every punishment you can get. Nobody likes you. Isn't that the worst? Nobody likes you. It like, sounds like a little kid at lunch, right? It would be better if you and your Jesus had never been born. We hear that you are all cannibals. You eat the flesh of your children in your sacred meetings. Well, they're referring to the Lord's table. So this is the response by Octavius the Christian. That story is based on, probably based on reports that we share a meal together, a meal of the body and blood of Christ. That we do. But it's not human flesh we eat. It is bread and wine we consecrate to commemorate our Lord's death. And then he says this. It amazes me that you give credibility to these rumors of cannibalism. You know what we're like. Keep in mind that if you have a child and it is a girl, but you wanted a boy, or a child is deformed, or if you simply don't want it, what is done? You leave the child outside exposed to die. Cialis responds, you know... And he's talking about leaving a child, unwanted child, out to die. You know, that is far more merciful than to let, to let the baby die than to bring it up in a home where it is not wanted. I've never heard that recently. Is that so contemporary as today? And then Octavius says this, we do not expose our children 
And you are well aware how many, so many of the little ones that have been left out to die have been rescued by Christians and given a home. So it's just the opposite of what you accuse us of, Silas. We don't consume human life. We rather protect and defend it. Second century. That's what Christians were known for. The sanctity of life, whether it's unborn or whether it's older, that every life is made in the image of God and valuable. Jesus writes these words. Let's close with them. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the church. The church is a group, it's a community, it's a royal priesthood, it's loved by God, it's the bride of Christ. But you cannot be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ without being connected to a local assembly. Let's stop looking outside for our saviors and realize our savior has already come and given his life and also given us our marching orders. He is the only cornerstone that will hold up in the storms of life. So there's a lot of questions you could ask. The first one is, is he really my cornerstone? Am I using my gifts and my abilities within the local assembly to make it what God wants it to be? Do I have a burden and a, a, a heart for lost people who are headed to destruction? Is my light and my life a testimony to the people around me that Jesus is alive? Are my actions enough to bring people to look to God and praise Him? That's what we're called to be. Let's pray. Father, help us to do what we cannot do on our own. Only through the power of your word, your spirit, only can you give us the desire and the ability to be what you've called us to be. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you've called us together to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But we live in a culture, Father, that is very divided today. And it... it, it, it pulls us in many different directions, help us to remember the heart of the gospel. That the creator of heaven and earth got off of his throne, came from heaven to earth, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, gave his life for us, and became the chief cornerstone of this thing called the church. And called us into this church community. And calls us to serve his bride as his bride. And Father, some of us are not doing a very good job of that, and we're not taking it very seriously. Help us to really refocus on what you want us to do. May the Spirit of God take something from today, bring it to our hearts, and change us forever. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.